0: to the Director's Club Podcast. I'm Jim Lazkowski, and we are live in apartment, or is it a condo? It's an apartment. Okay, it's an apartment. <laughs> and we have two of the smartest, most articulate guests that i have appeared on this show in the past. I couldn't be happier to be sitting near them today.
1: Wait a second. I think every time I've recorded this with you, I we've been articulate? in an apartment as oh, well. Okay. You're probably right. So it's not like this whole recording in an apartment is an entirely new thing.
0: That's true. But I'm, I mean, we're all kind of used to doing the Skype thing Well, Not that's looking true. at each other's faces
1: That's true Yeah.
0: So, we'll <laughs> see how this goes I mean, it might be really awkward Awkward pause, insert awkward pause here um, so How I, would it be awkward? <laughs> <laughs> that's true, just saying awkward is awkward um, So you guys host a wonderfully entertaining science fiction podcast Called Still Watching the Skies Which you can find at wherethelongtailends.com First up, we have someone whose distinctive voice can be heard on the David Lynch episode, Otto Preminger and John Huston, correct? That
1: is correct. Thank you very much, sir. And the
0: one, and you would be Nat (laughs) Almeral.
1: Yes, and and well done on pronouncing the name correctly, too.
0: Almeral?
1: No, you did pronounce it correctly. That's why I'm I'm not being a dick. Okay, I wasn't sure. (laughs) I'm thanking you.
0: Oh, good. I have my moments. (laughs) Secondly, coming all the way from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the man who joined us for Terence Fisher, Henry George Clouseau, and a special bonus episode, which I encourage people to check out for Halloween on Horror Anthology Films, please welcome
2: Robert Reinecke. Thanks, Jim. I'm happy to be here and happy to eat the wonderful food that Jocelyn has prepared for us. Thank you, Jocelyn. <laughs>
0: Thank we you really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, very good stuff indeed. Mm. And I'm so glad that, after all these years I' finally pronounced your last name right because if you go back to the first couple episodes of Directors Club, Robert was writing in pretty pretty uh, early on in in the show's run, and every time we would mess up the last name Jacques tourneur Jacques
1: tourneur all three of us though have generally unpronounceable last names
0: yeah, that's true.
2: I bet Kurt Haer can pronounce it just fine <laughs> <laughs> Reneke yeah. <laughs>
0: So yeah, how did Still Watching the Skies come to be since it's been around for over a year now, right?
1: Two years Two years, wow We just had our golden two-year anniversary (laughs) last month in September Wow Yeah So how did this come to be? Uh, I got an email from Robert saying, hey, I want to do a podcast on science fiction, do you want to join? And I said, yeah That easy
0: It is that easy to start a (laughs) podcast, folks (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think Robert probably would have better details on its actual origins. Well,
2: I had just finished up doing my uh, Curaçao in Order uh, series over at where dot and I had time in my hand, so I said, "Hey, Nat and Cody, want to j- join the podcast? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah!" And still watching the skies was born. <laughs> So yeah, that's a great show, guys, and uh, yeah. I, I've been um, honored to be a part of it on a couple of occasions, and uh, it's just it's a it's a lot of fun every month, right? The beginning of every month.
1: Yes, that's that's generally when the episodes drop, and uh, our latest episode is I can't for the life of me remember, but it's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do we remember? Wasn't it my pick? <laughs> uh, Dark
2: Star and Barbarella. Yes, yeah. Dark Star and Barbarella. That's our latest one. There. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we have one that will be dropping probably right about the time of this episode, too. A special Halloween uh, episode.
0: Ooh, scary stuff. <laughs> cool. It's very scary stuff. It's, uh,
1: it's Rational Explorations of Haunted House.
0: Whoa. Uh, that's going to be a good one, folks. Stay tuned for that. The haunting, I'm guessing, is probably included in that one. But you don't have to, you don't have to give it away, of course, if you don't want to.
1: One of them is. Yes. Okay. We'll leave you in suspense as w- in regards to which one
0: <laughs> I think that expression now uh, I'll leave you in suspense is kind of
1: uh, You want me to say it deeper? Yeah, please I'll leave you in suspense, okay. you whore
0: <laughs> Oh, you're a nasty man, Nat
1: I, I try Yeah,
0: very good So yeah, um, I think before we begin to talk about The director of this episode The wonderfully versatile Jacques, Jacques Tourneur. Jacques Tourneur.
1: Jacques Tourneur. good
2: for me. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, how, how would each of you say it? I'm just curious.
1: I would go uh, Jacques Tourneur. Tourneur. Okay. I would say Jacques Tourneur. Okay. Very good. <laughs> that sounds the most French.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Tourneur.
1: Well, that's because you get a sneer when you say Sneer. <laughs> <it. laughs> or Jackie Turner.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that one better. Yeah, because we Americanize everything. Exactly. Right. So. I don't know. It's uh, you know. It's I know it's horror movie month, being October and all, but we are kind of at the beginning of you know awards season. Kind of films being released here and there. Um, you know, there's been a lot of film festivals, a lot of art house fair that you know gets a bit stronger as the year goes on. The next couple of months, I think, uh, as film freaks that we are, we get excited. Because, uh, you know, a lot of prestigious things come out, and maybe they're going to be good. And maybe they'll make our top ten list at the end of the year. So I'm wondering if any of you have seen um, a title that has stood out for you and could find us that special place in your top ten of the year. Uh, and if not, that's that's cool, too. Just bring up a title that people should be excited to see.
1: I'm going to yield to Robert on okay. this one.
2: Okay. Well, I've, I've seen uh, several good movies recently. Uh Actually, today, just before we started podcasting here, I got out of a screening of Moonlight. Oh, yeah. A lot and, of buzz.
0: A lot of buzz about that
2: And one. it's a lot of deserved buzz about that. Um, it's uh, really uh, out of the ordinary coming-of-age story, I guess, or uh, coming into one's own identity story, uh, told at three different ages mm. of one man set in uh, Miami. The direction is exquisite. The... Writing is poetic at times uh, when it's not uh, when it's not being used in silence artfully. Uh, the sound design is great. The ensemble acting is great across the board. I think Naomi Harris is the standout mm. actress of it, basically because she has she's in the most segments. Uh, she plays the drug addict mother of the main character, um, and she's really wonderful. I don't think Oscar will have a lack of opportunity to nominate people of color this year because Naomi Harris would definitely be one of them uh, to be up for the good award. Good to hear.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know too much about the directors. Is this a debut film?
2: I don't believe it is. Okay, but
0: I, haven't, I haven't researched that, but I just keep hearing so much good stuff about this one that I'm excited to see it as well. I know it's playing the Chicago International Film Festival, but uh, I'm a little poor, so it's hard to get... <laughs> it's, unless I ever get press credentials, I don't know if I'll be, uh, you know... A, a, Splurging on tickets mm. for that uh, festival in particular, and now I guess all the movies are playing just at the River East, as opposed to at multiple theaters, mm. which is odd. Because <laughs> I mean, River East is also. I mean, if you're if you're just getting there, just uh, if you're getting there by car, parking options are very expensive. So that's another reason why I'm like, well, I guess I'm sitting out most of those titles this year, but mm. they're going to come out in the next month
1: or two. It's not sure. that close to any else either.
0: No, it's not, not really
1: But yeah.
0: Anyway, <laughs> that must have been really exciting For all you non-Chicago <laughs> residents um, Nat, anything Come to mind?
1: I'm trying to think uh, My wife and I did finally see uh, Hunt for the Wilder People last night, uh, which you can actually Purchase on Amazon Streaming Oddly enough, Good. Um, and enjoyed that I, I love Sam Neill uh, So much that any flaws and <laughs> Anything can be overcome by him Just kind of being a grizzly mountain man um, and it's fun yeah. it's charming it's uh yeah it, for all the accolades that uh, that the film's getting um, I think it's a nice kind of like more down to earth um, I don't necessarily want to say feel good but yeah. left it feeling good kind of movie and I think you know don't don't let the prestige fool you into thinking this is like some grand uh, grand film it's it's a lot of fun and you know I think everyone here loves uh, the director, whose name I cannot pronounce, uh, which will be a recurring theme throughout <laughs> this episode, I suppose, but sure. uh, his previous effort, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And nice uh, crowd
0: pleaser, I think. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you happen to be fans of the Film Junk podcast, you don't have to listen to their review they're
1: wrong <laughs> yeah they just uh, they're pretty cold on it I was shocked I don't know I think they said kind of something similar in that mm. it, might, it might be something where like the hype is kind of more destructive yeah, yeah I can see that sure mm.
0: your turn I'll, I'll get to my I just have one but we'll okay. get to it last
2: time. I'll throw throw my other one in uh, I saw Loving recently at the oh, Milwaukee man. Film Festival and that is pretty terrific um, no doubt uh, Jeff Nichols does a very good job of telling a story that eschews all the standard historical drama cliches. It just concentrates on the people, and it, it is really wonderful what he does with, with the people. I think Ruth Nega, in particular, is a standout performance, maybe the standout performance I've seen this year. Um, oh, good. It's just um, lovingly shot. Loving is probably... a. a adjective as low as a noun for this film <laughs> uh, uh, it, it is really a, what what he does and how he frames the story uh, just basically the relationship and how they persevered through all the turmoil I mean I, I assume that anybody that goes sees the movie knows how the court case will turn out and he really concentrates very little on it very, basically the minimum he had to concentrate on it basically just focuses on the relationship and it's, it's a very deep um, touching relationship and it's literally touching as how they can't keep their hands off each other through much of the movie (laughs) so much touching in this one uh i can't wait everybody knows
0: how i feel about jeff nichols so i'm i'm first in line for that one i just think he can do no wrong and that also includes midnight special (laughs) people just seem to think a lot of negative things about that movie but that's okay um yeah uh any more any more nat
1: um, I'm trying to think uh, Other ones that I've I seen recently Um So I, how about if I throw it to you for, for Okay, one?
0: I can I can do this So the one movie that has stood out To me the most Recently is a film called is a film called Camera Person mm. Mm. Now, I know that I criminally Use hyperbole more often than not But this is one of my favorite Documentaries that I've ever seen Um it is more of a video memoir with little emphasis on narrative uh it's directed by Kirsten Johnston or Kirsten Johnson and she sort of cobbles together footage from 25 years of documentary cinematography she's a cinematographer primarily and we get an overview of the many cultures that she's interacted with the people that she's met along the way um it is Exactly how I would make a documentary. It's sort of a collage. It isn't driven, like I said, by narrative, point A to point B to point C. It is really about feeling. And it's capturing a sense of the randomness of memories and how you can sort of channel that into an artistic vision, which this film does so beautifully. There are moments and shots in this you'll never forget. Things you've never seen before. um, Shocking moments. Funny moments, sad moments, just like a, a beautiful uh, montage of sorts, but it's you get some some scenes are very short, some scenes are very long, so i mean it's just it 's literally all over the map, like she goes everywhere bosnia, Chicago, everywhere, so that 's all I know. those are the only two cities I know <laughs> in the whole world, but no I just she she is a, a remarkable talent, and it made me think about all the raw footage that probably exists out there from shooting documentaries. And how would how can you turn that into a movie in of itself? And she kind of does that with 25 films she's been involved with here. And it's almost like Holy Motors in a way, where you have to jump around from emotion to emotion, story to story. Um, You know, there's a musical moment, there's a really sad moment involving death, there's a really uplifting moment, so it is just remarkable. It's, and it's also like one of those movies where I want to put every frame on my wall. (laughs) So I would put this up there as one of my favorite film-going experiences that I've had in a long time. I saw this at the Music Box in an empty theater, you know, the small theater, the small one, of course, but... It was just remarkable and very intimate and sad, but also invigorating. It's like a photo album of memories. And I don't know if anything's going to top it, but I, sh- I just couldn't believe what I was seeing for this entire film. So that's called Camera Person, and I hope you all get to check that out very soon. I'm looking at you, sir. If you can get to the music box. I know you're a dad, but...
1: Yeah. But that, that, that small theater is kind of creepy. Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: You expect there to be like some sleazy sex show in it
0: I wasn't thinking that the first time I s- went there. well, but they have yeah. like you
1: know those, those those small seats The you know all the interior lighting is red it's uh, they have those Roman figures painted on that, and uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: I was a little scared being there by myself, but you know
1: yeah, except for that one guy in the overcoat you mm-hmm. know, sitting in the back row, yeah, yeah, no. he's always there.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> I yeah. guess I'll take Sybil Shepherd on a date there at some point.
2: Well, that's why well you should.
1: I hope so. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, I saw a camera person played at the Milwaukee Film Festival. I regret not seeing it there, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. Mm.
0: Well, I'm definitely going to be trying to score an interview with this director. and Because she, God, I don't know, she probably has like, a million stories to tell as a result of all these. Because some of them, they list all the movies she's been involved with during the closing credits, of course, and some of them have yet to be released. Some of them are very old. Some of them are brand new that have come out this year. So it's just like, it's an experience. It's it's something else. I wonder if Jay's seen it, because I'd be curious to get his take on it. But anyway, Camera Person, anything else, guys, before we move on? Because we got one hell of a director to talk about.
2: Yeah, um... I'll just throw in, I, I saw The Fits uh, recently, it's part oh, of the Milwaukee yeah. Film Festival, and I think that's something you want to check out before the end of the year. I can just leave it at that, because I know we've got a lot to c- cover with our director. Certainly.
0: I know that's, that might be on demand now, I think. Possibly. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to look into that one for sure.
1: My motivation is, is to uh, change the course of Western music. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't liked the way it's been going, so I decided I'd make another record. <laughs> Can I give all these
2: people the finger?
0: Get people, great, great movie, the leopard man. Jean Tornail, French director with a big vision, made low-budget films with great precision. Holy crap! Out of the past, Robert Mitchum and Kirk Douglas, they're both so bitchin'. I love to watch cat people. Let's rewatch. Which director are we talking about again?
1: Jackie Turner.
0: That's right. Good old Jackie Treehorn. Um, Okay. So, wow. What a filmography. Uh, You know, I know he said... Everything must come from the inside, and it mustn't be superficial. He was not a fan of realism. Uh, he felt that it had no place in in cinema, which I would argue certainly. But he is one of a kind, and you know we have a large variety of films to talk about. But I think it all kind of started with um, his father, who I I haven't seen any of his films, but I think they're all silent films, if I'm not mistaken. Um. Yeah, so it started with... Um, I forgot his name already. <laughs>
2: Maurice Tournier. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that sort of ignited his interest in, in filmmaking, of course. But um, he really... The one thing that always stands out for me is this expressionistic lighting throughout his filmography. Um, I, I certainly respond greatly to you know his like string of horror films that started out or you can call them horror films but psychological horror films however you want to put them but you know we'll get to it later on but his entry into the film noir genre is remarkable in my opinion so um yeah let's uh, just sort of talk about our first experiences too what was your first experience nat seeing a jacques tauner
1: film I think I I think it was probably out of the past was the first one that that mm. I saw. Um and it really wasn't wasn't too long ago. Um but you know, having seen that and and having seen um many of Turner's subsequent films or films other films subsequent to that. Um I think one thing I really really admire about him is uh is he's very very good at c- crafting shooting very memorable characters. Whether it's the uh, and that's um, a little bit generic, but you know whether it's uh, whether it's a protagonist or whether it's a supporting character, there's always like some line of dialogue or some way in which they're framed or uh, some exchange that they have that just um, that just kind of I guess not necessarily makes you identify with them, but think of them as a real person. And like out of the past, I think is a great example of that. Like the beginning shot of that, where you know the. <clears throat> Yeah, quote unquote, hitman is pulling up to the gas station, and he's having the dialogue with the kid, and not realizing that the kid's deaf. Mm-hmm. And then that whole exchange goes by, and you kind of realize, oh well, this kid can't actually hear. And then the guy proceeds to c- continually be a dick to him, and you immediately have sympathy for the kid. And right. that's all within the span of maybe a minute. Like I think he's he's really really good at doing that. Um, and there there are other other characters that we can get into as we get to subsequent films but um but he's just a guy i think is very very good at immediately drawing you into the world of his movies uh, regardless of what the context is whether it's a world similar to ours or one very different from ours um he just finds a human element i think in a lot of his characters and um and it is really really good at bringing them out
0: yeah a lot of his Um, world building feels very real, despite him not necessarily being a fan of realism. He manages to make his characters very human in complex ways, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And he also was one of the first filmmakers early on that refused to sort of um, uh, embrace stereotypes or caricature African Americans. He didn't want to depict them as you know, s- servants all the time He wanted to give them professions And have them speak normally Without it being like for comic effect Or just, he he didn't want to do that To any of his characters So he really took a lot of care and attention And compassion Into all of the uh, films that he's made And Stars of Stars of My Crown in, in particular The way that film ends Was not unlike um, Roger Corman's The Intruder In expressing uh, a lot of rage towards those who are prejudiced. So I found that to be really refreshing to to discover, too. Robert, how about you? What was your first experience and how do you feel about them as a whole?
2: Okay. Um, well, my first experience is probably traces back to the 70s when I was in grade school and I would pour hmm. through the library and all these horror film books that they would have in the library and look at the pictures. Um, there's a book called... Uh, Monsters from the Movies by Thomas C or Thomas G Aylesworth that I still have a copy of to this day. Nice. Uh, one of the things that uh, stood out to me is the picture with uh, Francis D leading the planter's wife by the goat hanging in the tree, and I walked with a zombie, and that's certainly <laughs> a image that has uh, haunted my brain ever since. Sure, uh, just beautiful and uh, uh, striking, and not something that other horror films really deliver. Um, first movie of his I saw was probably about, uh, when it was about 12 or so, just a rainy Saturday afternoon turned on, uh, shock theater in Milwaukee. And, uh, they <laughs> were playing, uh, curse of the demon there. And I got completely sucked into that, the shadowy world that it was. And, um, it, it really created an impression on me. Uh, just a scary, but smart, uh, balanced film trying to balance skepticism with the superstition and yeah. doing one hell of a job with it um uh, making just just walking that line between uh uh, uh rationality and your rationality and i thought it was a, a great film and i still think that to this day agreed
0: um so i know he started out making some short films and uh and i didn't catch i didn't catch his debut film But I I would say that he hooked up with a particular individual by the name of Val Luton and went on to make a remarkable film in the horror genre that most people are very aware of, but we'd be remiss in not talking a little bit about. Cat people!
1: Unfortunately, I can't Um, get my cats to hiss on cue.
0: Ugh! Well, right. that is exactly why they have uh, sound effects. <laughs> CDs and, well, obviously clips now. But I'll, I'll I'll I know what to do. I'll work some <laughs> magic in there. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, you know, I hadn't seen the original Cat People until a f- couple of years ago actually. Um and I was like uh r- blown away by pretty much everything about the film. I will say it's leisurely paced, but I think that works to its advantage. And I think most people sort of cite this as containing one of the very first, if not the first, jump scares involving the bus. And I think the sound design throughout that, is, he's really good at stalking sequences, Yes, I've realized. <laughs> um, when you binge watch his films, you're like, whoa, he knows how to do that very effectively and not always have accompanying music to underscore what's taking place. It really is about the sound design. And the sound of that um, cat roar with the bus coming is just one of my favorite moments in film history, period. And I could see why it sort of led to this um, sort of aping it in a lot of uh, horror films. So it makes complete sense that because it was so effective early on, and it still is effective to this day, um, that a lot of horror filmmakers cite that as being a really... A memorable moment in film history But I I love the Subtext of course and You know the just How he manages to capture this World in a very subtle Manner it's not necessarily like everything Is not spelt out for you like It is kind of in Paul Schrader's Crazy remake um, So I, I Which I happen to have a soft spot For regardless but
1: this is clearly The superior cat people <laughs> If you see only one Cat People movie yeah. in your life. See, uh, um... <laughs> well, well she does... She's Sleepwalkers oh. by Stephen Oh, God, no. <laughs> Isn't it, Well, that's the one where, like, their weakness is cats, right? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: I think the cats kick ass towards the end,
1: though. I think they do. Yeah. But, um... But I think she does go into the history of, like, the whole Serbian village that she grew up in and how, uh... Yeah, uh, How they fought against that... I, It's a really interesting film, and I like like that stalking sequence in itself is is an interesting sequence because it it kind of you're seeing it on two different levels there. Like you know, on one and the most obvious one that you can get from any context um, just by watching a clip of the scene is you know the not quite girlfriend of the main character is walking home and doesn't know if um, if the actual wife. Of her coworker is stalking her, like as a cat, and will attack her. But it's also like that scene where, like you as the audience, you've heard all this backstory, you know all this, and you, but you actually have sympathy for Simone Simone's character, like mm-hmm. in that movie. Like, I mean, her whole Serbian village like her whole uh, reticence, and and you know, it's it's um, she's not the one who initiates any of the affection or courtship or anything like that. Yeah. Like she's being very guarded, and she's being drawn out. Into like this role that she knows is going to be dangerous. So you know, on the one hand, like you fear for one character's life, but then on the other, you kind of feel fear for the stalker's soul, and and that's something I don't think you quite get until you're you know you can't get that just by watching the clip of that scene, and you get that by watching the movie, and it's it's a really interesting way that like that entire dynamic is set up. It's not a cheap scare. It's like there are many many stakes to that one scene.
0: Yeah. No, it sort of crescendos into that, and very beautifully. I think one thing that connects, especially the first three films, the power of suggestion, and to some degree, because like you know the way her transformation is introduced too. I just assumed like she has to be intimate or kiss another man for her to transform, but. She's stalking this woman, and apparently she transforms both there and when she's at the pool, if I'm not mm-hmm, mistaken, mm-hmm, yeah. just through feeling, like, an overwhelming emotion. hmm mm-hmm. Jealousy, anger, however you want to put it. So, yeah, I, f- I just find that whole, um, just metaphor in and of itself, like, just your animalistic urges coming out. Mm-hmm. When you're feeling vulnerable or something along those lines It's really, really powerful
2: Yeah, and we, we all kind of hope that she actually Breaks through her repression yeah. I mean, That's part of mm-hmm. the, the trick of the film Is that we're both rooting for uh, Simone Simone's arena And being frightened by her And what she can do when she becomes We don't want her to fall, but we also kind of want the scares yeah, to happen. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it, this is quite possibly the first uh, horror film that is really pitched almost exclusively for adults. I don't know if children would get much out of it. I mean, maybe some of the basic ideas of a woman transferring into a panther would excite some ideas, but it's all suggestion. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this is a one where you need to know what it is to be a, have a relationship between a man and a woman and uh, uh, to understand uh, Freud and psychological repression. And um, I think that's the thing that makes uh, Cat People stand out from its time. And uh, it's also a radical break in style from the universal films of the period, which were all strongly lit and uh, a good focus would be on the faces of the monsters. And yeah. here... These characters, you might not even see their faces; to be in the shadows or half in the shadows at all times. So it's a, it's it's both a wonderful uh, breaking content and it's a wonderful breaking form, and it creates a, a new style that I, I think we still see to this day. Yeah, I mean, you think of like the Wolfman films, like where the, the, they would
1: probably be the closest corollary in terms of monster movies to this. And like you said, yeah, it would be a close up of, oh, yeah, of you know, if it's Werewolf of London or or just uh, the Wolfman, you know. It is an emphasis on the special effects, and you're wondering, oh, how did they do that transformation? Here, they don't even bother with the transformation. Right. It's, it's, all, it's, it's all done all in it's shadow. Like, yeah. 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 Like, it's uh, more I mean, effective the, that way, too. The pool scene is, gr- is great, too, because, yeah. you know, you see, you're, you're not even sure what happens until you see a little bit of confirmation. Like, you see the shadow, but then you get the confirmation of, like, her tearing up the jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then, it could just be, like, you know, I got my pair of cat scissors and <laughs> cut it up or what have you. <laughs> but it's also, like, at that point, you know, like, um, I mean, someone's arc in this is, is just really interesting, too. Going from, like, very, very quiet and reserved to becoming, basically, like, the antagonist. Um, and mm-hmm. a pretty vicious one in the process, too. Um, and I mean, yeah, there is there is a complexity there that I don't think you would necessarily get in um, in similar monster movies. And like the Wolfman too is is kind of like exploring sexual urges, but um, but I don't think on the on the level or depth that that cat people gets to.
0: Yeah, and it's I just like how a lot of it plays out in your imagination more than I mean, obviously I love gore and stuff like Werewolf in London where you see the amazing special effects too, but there is just something uh, that just the, using your imagination in those moments is is even more effective. Uh, and I also, r- what really stood out is, like, visual flourishes and certain, like, barriers that he focused on, like, obviously, the caged animal, the caged bars, certain furniture, um, you know, fences and doors representing, like, the dividing line between human and animal. And you know he's so good at doing these things without calling attention to them necessarily but i i just i was watching this again kind of going this is really the birth of the intellectual horror film in <laughs> a way <laughs> where you sort of think of so many things afterwards after going through this experience and um and y- like you mentioned that you do feel a lot of um of empathy for her despite knowing what she is and the kind of damage she's going to cause um, poor psychiatrist
1: Well, and her knowing <laughs> the kind of damage that she can yeah. cause, too Yeah,
0: she has self-awareness, which is important To distinguish from mm-hmm. other sort of monster movies, too well, And
1: yeah. even in, in great little supporting character moments Where they go to the restaurant and uh, And, you know, the waitress comes up And is pushing the chicken gumbo and yeah. you know, it's like, no, I just have the coffee. And then she, she Nobody just walks.
0: Chicken gumbo. She just
1: yeah. She just walks back to the kitchen. Lord, ain't no one ordering no chicken gumbo today. Like there is no reason. <laughs> there is no reason to show that. Yeah. And there is absolutely no other director who would show that. But it's it's again like a really great way of, of world building. Like these are these are mm-hmm. real people. This is his routine. He's been to this cafe a thousand times. And um, it just it goes so far to to making that world believable.
2: Yeah, it creates a world outside the frame.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I just, uh, I, 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 look forward to rewatching this more and more over mm-hmm. time. And you know, for those who haven't seen it, please do because it's uh, a, a remarkable, sort of monumental mm-hmm. film for for that era.
2: Yeah, and it's an urban film. Uh, well, I oh, think yeah, it stands out because most horror films of the period, not all, but most, are you travel to a faraway country, mm-hmm. go to this weird castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this one, the horror is well, it's right in the bedroom, actually.
0: Uh- <laughs> oh <laughs> well, then
2: <laughs> my my Robin, <laughs>
1: oh my. Although although I guess it it originates in Serbia or in a yeah. far off land, but yeah, but right. still, you you don't get like the exotic traversing through, you know, wherever they are in Werewolf in
2: London, uh, or to some Transylvanian countryside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um or, or the, the big German expressionist of uh, Frankenstein or mm-hmm. go off to Egypt for the mummy yeah. or you've off to England for whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like
1: the threat's already here. It's a it's a very Donald Trump esque movie. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> They're coming in, cat people, by the trillions, yeah. coming
0: in from I, Serbia. I would think that's more the zombie movie, but
2: <laughs> well, yeah. I can, I can but start. I mean, it is that uh, done during World War II. They were fleeing the horror in Europe, so if the, Europe, mm-hmm. if the horror in Europe comes to America. I guess that would strike a chord in the time that maybe it doesn't quite strike the same chord today, but it's still there. Oh yeah. And of course, with the men off to war, you, you had to be selling uh, the movie to the female audience. That's at home, so mm. maybe you have a female protagonist the way you don't have uh, previously.
1: Yeah. Good point, sir. Well, uh, okay, one question. Uh oh. How the hell does she afford that place? Because <laughs> hmm. she lives in basically a mansion.
0: Yeah. And yeah, she's a, point, a
1: commercial yeah. artist, but.
0: Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, maybe a commercial artist was valued a lot more back then.
1: Maybe. You know? <laughs> Maybe possible. But she can do. She can. I can tell you. She draws really, really fast. (laughs) Because that last scribble, you know, before they show what it actually is, Mm -hmm. she makes about two strokes with her pencil. And when they showed the close-up of it with the panther with its sword through its chest, yeah, yeah, that's she. She moves fast
2: like a cat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, anything to do with cats, I'm on board for. <laughs>
2: yeah. My understanding is that set was left over from uh, Magnificent Ambersons.
0: That's right. Ah. Yes, yes. So is
2: that the staircase where
1: they have the... Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked a little familiar.
0: Yeah.
1: Wait, what, what year was Cat People? 43? 42? 43? 43? Okay, because Ambersons is 42.
0: I think it's 43.
1: So it may
2: have predated the use of...
1: Mm-hmm. In Ambersons, but... But no, if it's
2: 43, well, I think it is 43. When they shoot it and when it came out, yeah, Because Magnificent Amberson... Hey, Citizen Keane sat on the shelf for a while. Yeah. They fought with Hearst. And then they did Magnificent, uh, or Magnificent Ambersons. And then Wells <laughs> went off to South America before yeah. it was released. So, uh, it might have came out before Magnificent Ambersons, but shot after it.
1: Oh, but the cat people have been around for thousands of years, <laughs> generations upon generations. <laughs> ah, they could still be
0: here right now. Yeah. A side note: Will we ever see the director's cut of Magnificent Ambersons, or is that footage completely gone?
1: As far as I know, it's completely gone until oh, it gets okay. found somewhere in a you know in a yeah. vault or some Brazilian whorehouse. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> always how it happens: mental asylum somewhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm.
0: Well, let's move on, shall we, to the next film, which could be. Uh, I mean, Hillary Clinton must love the title of this one. I walk with a zombie. Heyo. <laughs>
1: I thought you were going to say the Leopard Man. That's
0: true. I can, you can go yeah either title I suppose, but I'm just trying to be politically
1: relevant at the time for right now, <laughs> which will immediately date us. Go vote. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, this is a, a pretty special film too. I mean, I like I like I like all three of the ones we're about to talk about to varying degrees and. Um, this one again just really focuses on atmosphere over narrative and does it very very well. Uh, you know, we sort of mentioned about the you know the, the cultural jump that occurs here, where you know you have somebody going off and discovering a whole other world, and it's very interesting in terms of you know sort of bringing the the zombie tropes to again a more psychological immediate human level um but yeah i i hadn't seen this one until just last year as well and uh you know it sort of made me realize along with a lot of val luton's films that he's produced that this is just totally up my alley when it's when it's about again atmosphere over anything else
1: yeah i think uh jackie turner is (laughs) he's really good with with jungles Yeah, Um, Like, he's really, really good And probably because so much of it is just Everything is hidden um, in the jungle Mm -hmm. And so threats can come from anywhere Um, But I I think, you know The basic, very basic, bare-bones Plot of this is Jane Eyre Um, And I enjoy it so much more Mm -hmm. than than Any, than the actual novel Jane Eyre, or any adaptations This is better than Pride and Prejudice and Zombies I'll I'll take your word for that Um,
0: I haven't seen it, I just assumed
1: Ah, well (laughs)
0: <laughs> Probably a safe right? assumption yeah, yeah, I think
1: that is a safe <laughs> assumption um, But, uh, you know, even this one too Like, it's it's not straightforward no. at all It's not like, you know, the Haitians are, are a bunch of, like, mindless natives Like, mm-hmm. they have their own culture the, the whites have their own culture And there's this weird synthesis um, that kind of, like or or feeding off of one person's culture or picking and choosing and taking elements from that um for for either person's individual game but they're you know the natives aren't treated aren't treated like savages they're actually like pretty civilized people um and there's really not that much difference in in some of their beliefs as they like you know they have the huge statue of uh, which saint is that saint sebastian saint sebastian right. mm-hmm. yeah you know and and i mean something like that is just as savage an artifact as as anything that you would see, like, uh, that you do see with like voodoo dolls or what have you. Um, I think there are like a lot of parallels that, that he's drawing here. And even like kind of the final revelation of, uh, of who's working with, with the voodoo practitioners. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mentioned too, it's probably, you know, at that time, the most accurate depiction of what voodoo actually is again, for that time. Um,
0: It's less, it's certainly less cartoony than The Serpent and the Rainbow, which a lot of people, I mean, I like that movie, but a lot of people sort of criticize, you know, Craven's depiction of that culture.
2: Mm -hmm. And certainly much more accurate than uh, uh, White Zombie or Mm -hmm. um, the Natives from King Kong. Yeah. They're they're much, these are treated much more with respect here. Yeah. and, And... Music is much a part of their culture as anything else, and they mm-hmm. certainly play it up in the sound design of the film
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, one of my favorite moments involves the like the two women dressed in white walking through like a field of sugarcane in the dark towards the voodoo ceremony um, mm-hmm. with like the drums in the background like that. That is really a, a, another powerful scene that you sort of take away from the film. And you, you're right in that it's not straightforward and it doesn't really have like a forward propelling plot, but it still manages to capture you in a very hypnotic way.
2: Yeah, it's very much a, a Twilight uh, set film. Um, I, I think you can really see Jacques Tourneur's powers of visually directing come out. Mm-hmm. I mean,. My understanding is the sets are very small, but he manages to create a whole sugarcane field for yeah. people in a jungle to people to walk through. He puts things in the foreground, so you obscure the people walking through it, and he dollies along it, and uh, the foreground, middle ground, and background, and all of that will come into play at some point, or he'll just have a, somebody standing off in the background. I, I think yeah. Val Luton's... Um, impact on the script is also very important. Uh, it's not just that it's a Island. It's an Island where slavery was once, uh, the ideal and mm. they're still kind of haunted by that. Um, that's kind of the original sin that's kind of driving, uh, the story along because you have the rich planters that once profited off of it. And they, they seem like decent people now. Uh, but they, they certainly are, uh, Reckoning with the sins of the past, some of them more literal than others, but kind of like
0: the Native American burial ground (laughs) kind of trope that we'd see in a lot of ghost movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I just it's it's something else. Again, I mean, like I think of you know towards the end Mm -hmm. the the sight of the you know the figure on on the wall, Mm -hmm. you know, in the shadow. It's just like there's so many moments like that throughout his films that I just kind of go, wow, that's. That's no, you can't top that. You can't. I mean, you can certainly find many other examples of that in different films. i um, you know, like what Orson Welles did, of course, <laughs> in Citizen Kane. But there's just certain moments that really stand out, and you know, images you'll never forget.
2: Yeah, and uh, I, I would say even even at the very beginning, it starts out with Tom Conway giving the great speech on the boat. Yeah, yeah. About there's nothing here but death, no beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think obviously that's a very Luton sentiment, but. Sure. <laughs> just the way the whole scene is set up it does look beautiful and you do have the the workers on the boat singing a song or humming along to create an atmosphere and Mm -hmm. then when Tom Conway breaks the spell it really is kind of a slap in the face both to the heroine of the film and to the audience Mm -hmm. um I mean, it takes a while for the scares to come. Yeah, no, that's and, true. And but I, I'm drawn into the story ahead of time because I like the people. I like the, I think top to bottom, I think the cast is stronger in "I Walk to a Zombie" than it is in "Cat People." Mm-hmm. Um, the main character, uh, Kent Smith, or Kent. Uh, well, Oliver, the Oliver Reed named character in uh, <laughs> yeah. in cat people I, I think kind of uh, kind of fades in importance well I think they get the triangle very right in uh, I walk with a zombie because both the brothers are very prominent and mm-hmm. I think they're interesting characters in their own right uh, I like the uh, uh, Francis D as the, the nurse I think is a very active character um, she's not a passive heroine that needs to be rescued, she's actually trying to impact and move the plot. I mean, it, this this film does pass the Bechdel test. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I don't know if you, how many horror films of the period you can say that do that. <laughs> That's true. Um, no, it really just captures the essence of
0: fear, really. And, mm-hmm. you know, that comes also with, uh, like, just the emotional state that the characters find themselves in, and they're sort of drawn into... What is happening? But also, am I going to be confronted with all my internal fears, and what's that? What's going to become of that? So it's again more suge- more suggestive than anything else. So it does play on a subconscious level, which I really appreciate more than you know loud noises and you know things <laughs> jumping out at you. Uh, you know, so disappointed that a cat didn't jump out during Cat People, <laughs> but anyway.
1: <laughs> well, and and another I think similarity. Um, with cat people, though maybe more with with some other films of it is that, um, is that you have that supernatural element and then there is a, there is an attempt, um, or an investigation into that and some rationalization of that, or, or at least like kind of learning more, um, more in depth or like a, a history of it instead of just treating it as, as purely supernatural, like kind of understanding some of the impetus at least, um, Behind it, or how it is used, um, and in terms of like, in terms of casting, you know the the voodoo dancer priest. I'm not entirely sure, but the guy who's pulling the invisible rope. Yeah, I mean, like, like uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what if there's any trick to it, but like those things are pretty hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just the dance moves and and um, yeah. and how it's shot, and like the entire
2: ceremony is is very hypnotic. Yeah, I like the two women that. And their dance off kind of mm-hmm. head to head. Yeah, I think that's, that's a real nice statement. And I mean, I think there's nice characters work throughout it. I kind of like uh, the Calypso singer Sir Lancelot, who gives yep. probably the neatest <laughs> bit of exposition you'll yeah. ever see or mm-hmm. most unique. And he kind of says he's sorry, but he comes back later, so you can tell he's not really sorry. <laughs> or just like the stabbing, which mm-hmm. is pretty
1: suspenseful and mm-hmm. um, like it's it's not gory at all, but. Like you're, you're pretty apprehensive about what's going to happen, like what they're actually going to do.
0: Yeah, and you know what, you know what noise now that I, I don't necessarily find creepy, just rather jarring and kind of annoying. Castanets. (laughs) (laughs) I can't really imitate them, but I'll insert the sound in case people aren't aware aware of what they are. I would think they know, (laughs) but. That leads us to the next film. Leopard Man.
1: Leopard
0: Man, okay. <laughs> uh, now I thought of the Pearl Jam song. Oh, man, I just thought of a parody song off the top of my
1: head. Or, Better Or, uh, Or Rocket Man. Yeah. Leopard Man to the tune of Rocket Man. That's good. That's good, yeah. too.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, this, um... Oddly... It's a little bit of a murder mystery, I guess, but, I mean, people, you know, all think, well... It's got to be that escaped leopard that's causing all this, but you know I think it's also an example of kind of a slasher film, in a way. Yeah, you know I know Mario Bava sort of, uh, you know um, he's he's been the he's been dubbed the uh, the the Godfather of the slasher with um,
1: Black Sunday, Blood and Black Lace. No, Bloody Sunday,
0: the one that's like got the Friday Thirteenth kills. Uh, Bay of Blood, of T- yeah, Bay of Blood. <laughs> That's it. And it also has an alternate title. But yeah.
2: Twitch I, of the Death Nerve? Yes, Twitch of the Death Nerve <laughs> There Thank you. Go.
0: My god, my brain. That's probably because I watched so many damn movies I can't remember them all anymore. <laughs> Blood
1: but, of the Black Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God, I gotta watch some Baba this month too. Anyway, but I just I, again I really got into this movie despite kind of figuring out what was going to happen by the end? I, I kind of, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I guessed like who the killer was, but I, I have. I have an affinity. It's probably also why I, I don't mind the Scream movies for a whodunit, and this kind of takes that form mixed with a slasher. Um, you know, and, it's, and it starts off with you know a, a, a woman, you know, dancing and having to um, confront her fear, with, essentially with this giant leopard that she has to. Um, take in with her and then it's escapes and then people are freaking out and there's all these murders taking place and there are some jump scares to be had but i think it culminates into uh, a very interesting catharsis of violence that's played off screen but we still hear it and i don't know i just think again another very effective horror stalker
1: kind of a film I think this this has another great stalking sequence mm-hmm. in it too, um, which I think is the is initial. That, that, is, is it the cemetery one? Not the cemetery one. The one before that. Um, the initial under the bridge. Kill, oh, yeah, yeah, under yeah, the yeah, bridge yeah, 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 Where yeah. you know you want. <laughs> this one does have some funny moments in it too, but <laughs> yeah. but for this one, you know, it's how damn far away is this grocery store? Like where the daughter goes out, she's she's scared because there's always been rumors of of the leopard escaping because the leopard escaped. Uh, in in one of the greatest, what did you think was going to happen moments of all time? But yeah. yeah, but the daughter's pleading with her mother not to go to the grocery store because she doesn't want to get attacked by the leopard. The mother's like, ah, just get the hell out of here. And she, go, it looks like she travels like twenty miles by foot and through wilderness, <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, all through the bad parts of town, like broken down bridges and all that. But she turns her. She actually does make it to the store, and then she has a, a great little exchange with the storekeeper. And okay, well, and you know, I put it on my tab, uh, which is uh, always my favorite. One of my favorite little tropes of like, uh, I'm going to be back in here, so but of course yeah. they won't be. Um, and then she gets attacked, like you know, right at the very end. But but he keeps the suspense going. Like that entire stalking sequence goes on for so much longer than you think it would go, and, and certainly longer than. Than most uh, stalking sequences you would normally see. I mean, sure. he waits until the very last minute, and then when it happens, like it's it's a brutal kill too. Pretty um, shocking. You know, spoiler yeah. spoiler for the Leopard Man, but you know it's a brutal <laughs> kill in in again. You know, in, you hear you hear it happen, and the only evidence you see of it is is the blood coming from under the door. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect way.
0: Yeah, I'm oh, terrified boy. to buy a bag of cornmeal now. Yeah, after exactly. Seeing this movie. <laughs> It's like Jaws kept you out of the water, Psycho kept you out of the shower. This is mm-hmm. going to keep me from buying a bag of cornmeal.
2: Yeah.
1: And You'll walking, never go to Jewel Osco for
2: cornmeal. <laughs> yeah, the set pieces are definitely the strength of the Leopard Man. Um, the Obviously, the, the first leopard kill, I, I think the kill in the cemetery is also very well yeah. done. And, mm-hmm. that's a, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that's certainly the Yeah, and that's certainly a very loot and touch to have a murder scene in a cemetery yeah. mm-hmm. surrounded by death. Um, the last one I think is still pretty good with uh, with Clo Klo is her name on the street Mm -hmm.
1: Um, um, the entire movie is almost like a stalking sequence with her character too because
2: you know she's going to die at some (laughs) point (laughs) but I mean I, I think one of the things they do very well in the film is that each of these victims get a, a, a bit of characterization. Yeah, involved yeah for in. sure. We, we find some of their hopes and dreams. Maybe yeah. not so much with the little girl, but certainly with the uh, young woman who's uh, on the verge of being a woman and trying to meet her boyfriend. And Clo-Clo, we see, wants to get out of this small town. So yeah. I think they, they give all of these that there's a sense of loss when they exit the film, that these, there's a promise that's unfulfilled with their lives. Um, I think that all of that is very strong um, mm-hmm. Mystery, not so much I think the yeah. mystery is kind of weak, doesn't have many suspects It's not like
0: a wow kind of a moment When you find out who the killer is
2: No, and um, <laughs> thematically I don't think it's uh, Luton's strongest either I mean, there's something There's uh, forces pushing us that we can't see mm-hmm. uh, I guess death surrounds us this Is a typical Luton one But I mean the the main characters I don't think are very interesting. I think yes they have a hard shell but they're really nice people on the inside. It needs to be cracked. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. (laughs) They're just not that interesting. Yeah. Uh, But but as far as delivering effective set pieces, I think it's great. And I I do think it's interesting that it's set in what New Mexico, but we certainly have very many Latino Mm -hmm. characters here. So, like uh, I walk with a zombie with uh, the. Descendants of Slaves, mm-hmm. African Descendants, and uh, um, it, we have a, a an ethnic film in, in sorts in, in it. So I think that's a, a very interesting touch. And, of course, Jacques mm-hmm. Tourneur treats all the characters with respect.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. he puts them all in equal playing field, ground. <laughs>
1: uh, I, and you know, I, 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 I do feel like the museum curator is... He, he just seems like such a, <laughs> such a jerk, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when there's the, the initial kill and they're asking him, like, oh, well, could a leopard do this? Oh, yeah, sure. And then, you know, like two minutes later, he's like, well, you said a leopard could do this. Well, I uh, said a leopard might do that. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, 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 uh. Um, but, yeah, like I, um, I, I also do like the leopard's actual handler. All um, oh, right. Where he's constantly yeah. hounding him for the two hundred and forty dollars that he owes him, and oh, he's, he was he was an extremely friendly leopard. And now that I don't have the leopard. I don't have an act. <laughs> like,
0: you got a very and, curious and leopard to see, right there.
1: <laughs> you get to see you get to see the act without the leopard too, which is oh, right. which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, this also has uh, my maybe my second favorite, maybe my favorite um, extra line uh, with the flower dealer. Uh, where where she's walking up trying to get the uh, day old flowers saying oh you you can't sell these they're they're day old and she says oh I have to sell all of them because I have to eat and I love to eat
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's definitely moments of levity that's what I like too mm-hmm. when you know you insert those at the appropriate times but then you have these incredible stocking sequences and like the, the 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 very last one with like the the cigarette too is mm-hmm. really Mm-hmm. Um, effective.
2: Yeah, I also like the possession Of uh, the dead that they have yeah. out oh, there. Right. I think that's that's a, good. Yeah, that's a, a very nice set piece they have there, and definitely that's right. uh, it's both moody and it's effective. If you could try to hide in there, so I think it's, it works on all levels. That's, um, yeah,
1: I liked how he tries to hide. This was before Mr. Arcadian too, isn't it?
2: Yeah, over a decade oh, before. Yeah.
1: So Wells was just ripping off left and right. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, and that's kind of a grisly way, like a pretty cold-blooded way of of getting rid of the murderer, too. Uh, Where he he escapes, and then they just kind of like, all right, (laughs) like gang up on him, and no trial, just pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and the whole setup they have with him as well. Um, Just like scaring him out and and turning the tables and trapping the cat, uh, so to speak. But, yeah, it's... It, it, i don't think it's quite as strong as, as cat people like you said, no. Robert, but but I think I this re- one definitely is a good good Halloween mm-hmm. scare.
0: Yeah, I kept waiting for somebody to say once they found the cat, the cat's in the bag.
2: You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a nice efficient what, sixty six minutes? Right. Yeah, all of these yeah. Are, are yeah. That's something I yeah, I, I
0: think also lends to rewatches and you mm. know, especially if you have a busy schedule like some people it's nice knowing oh, I got eighty-minute movies to watch tonight. That's yeah. good. Mm-hmm.
2: And this one is well structured because uh, they put off the scares in "I Walk with a Zombie" and "Cat People" to the second half for the most part. Sure. Well, this one mm-hmm. you have the uh, girl under the bridge, scene yeah, pretty much uh, within the first fifteen minutes. So yeah, you're not waiting around. It's a it's a very efficient, uh, good thriller that way. Indeed, <laughs> you get the nice glowing
1: eyes under the bridge too.
0: All right. Sorry about that. That's okay. I didn't know Peter Fonda was going to show up and
1: <laughs> be a guest. That's great. Well, yeah, that asshole goes up and down <laughs> in our drive all the time. So yeah. you see, Robert, this is what we normally hear when. Uh, yeah, this is what you can
0: ah,
2: put a now, louder sound. The to mysteries
0: it. are revealed. Okay.
2: <laughs> normally, get that out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, so you know the studio separated Luton and Tonea. In 1943, 44, I think, and I think they uh, they wound up uh, successfully um, putting together films uh, of their own in their own right. I guess you could say, but one in particular, uh, spoiler alert, that happens to be my favorite, is up next. It's a film noir by the name of Out of the Past.
1: there are many great practitioners of, of, um, of noir. There, there are many great, I guess, quote unquote, master filmmakers who can, who can deliver very strong genre performances uh, or other genre films. Um, I think, I think Turner is able to do to kind of like stay to the conventions and yet kind of go beyond in, in crafting, um, something that's a little, a little extra. And, um, and I think out of the past, you know, it has all those noir elements like it has the Femme Fatale, it has um it has the very strange and meandering or complex plot. It has uh double crosses, backstabs and uh flashbacks. The hard yeah, hard boiled detective. It has like that idyllic country life that's disrupted by uh mm-hmm. by something prior to that. Um and I think that it, it again I think is is a completely um believable characters if if not um believable world like at least in its in its own context and and part of that I think is casting too. Like Robert De Niro is is the perfect choice um for this sort of thing. You Where, mean Robert Mitchum? Robert Mitchum. Jesus Christ <laughs> sorry about that. Uh Robert Mitchum is the perfect choice for that. Well they, you know they both have those those uh kind of Kate fear. Of Cape Fear, exactly. I actually watched both Cape Fears earlier this month too. Um, but Mitchum, Mitchum is perfect for it because you never know which side Mitchum is on, and mm-hmm. Kirk Douglas is perfect for Sterling because oh God, yeah. because you never know which side Kirk Douglas is on. And you know, fifties Kirk Douglas, fifties Robert Mitchum. I I will take any day of the week, like just right? you know, facial expressions from Douglas and. Uh, inflections from Mitchum.
0: Mitchum inflections are the best. Yeah,
1: <laughs> all right.
0: I, yeah, if I if I could like cast anybody from any era, it might be Robert Mitchum from this era. If it's like you get your choice of any actor from any period at any time. Um, yeah, I just you know what I I also thought of like this idea of human interaction as like a textile, where it made me think of you know the way they talk is very much. It's not as like staccato and stylized as something like David Mamet with House of Games, but just their their assuredness in saying really like again hardboiled detective kind of lines and have them actually have emotional weight to them, not just be showy clever lines just to have clever lines. Or just you know insert vulgarities you know like like what David Mamet would do with Glenn Geary and Glenn Ross and kind of make it sound like poetry. I uh, I think the dialogue this might be my favorite screenplay <laughs> of all time because <laughs> every line is like oh my I, I want I just want to write down every line and memorize them and <laughs> t- talk about them because I just think like the, especially with Mitchum and kirk douglas interacting together it's just pitch perfect
1: well and, and and mitchum is exactly the guy that you get for that yeah for, for lines that can sound like cheesy he's the one to deliver them authentically like and and i i would plug uh, farewell my lovely uh the 1970s mm. philip marlowe uh, movie where he is philip marlowe um crap i need to see that it is fantastic um, but I love it's, the long
0: goodbye, so I should see more of those. It's a little uh, bit different,
1: yeah, approach to Philip Marlowe. A long goodbye, um, but yeah, just you know, I mean, he 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 carries all the emotional weight, and yet still gets all the wit uh, right. from the line.
0: And it's a very dry wit, too. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I love this movie, Robert. What, what are your thoughts?
2: It's a nearly perfect movie. Um, yeah. I would say one of the things I like about it is it's basically a story. That you can tell that Robert Mitchum is basically doomed from before frame one even starts. Mm-hmm. Um, he And he does some very clever things to try to wiggle his way out, but it's all to no avail because um, the fates are conspiring against him and it's probably his own heart in some respects is conspiring against him because uh, you can t- tell he's crazy about... Uh, uh, Jane Greer on at least some level still, um, maybe just pure sex appeal at some point, but um, she's part of him. And he's tainted yeah. by her in some way, and there's no really going back to that idyllic country wife life that he starts it with, no matter how much he hard he tries. Um, and I think Schachtuner's uh, lighting and uh, camera work just works to that uh, uh, beautifully, he's plunged into darkness again and again, uh, running down halls into darkness. It's uh, really a well-shot film. All the performances are spot-on. Um, It's—I I can't think of anything I don't like about the film. I mean, maybe I could say that the fight between uh, Mitchum and his former partner is a little bit uh, stagey. I kind of like <laughs> it. <laughs> I think I like it because it's not
0: stage, or, or it is stagey, but it's all uh, yeah. there's no music the fishing line death it seems like a sloppy fight in a way too Yeah, I mean it's stagey but sloppy I guess Yeah, nice I think, balance I think
2: <laughs> but yeah, I think those are like those are things where I say well it's not perfect but this is like an A plus film all the way around <laughs> and pretty much it, yeah um, it, it's a classic it, it's probably Tourneur's greatest film might not be my favorite but it's certainly if I had to say way what is his best I would say Out of the Past is his best
0: I concur 100%. I.
1: Man, that's tough. That, that's really tough because, I mean, this is also a guy who who dabbled in so many genres and did all of them so well. Um, <clears throat> uh, again,
0: fighting the auteur theory here. Because, I mean, you can find certain elements, especially with the lighting throughout his films, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mentioned. I, but I think, uh,
1: I mean, the. I guess there there are common elements shared by the themes but I think he yeah. he kind of brings up something new and and can say something very profound in many different films. Um and like you know is is what he's saying in Cat People um as profound as as sort of what he's what he's saying in, in Out of the Past. Um I mean it's it's tough but again I guess you know it's not just Troner it's <clears throat> it's Mitchum it's it's Douglas. Yeah. It's it's everything else in there. I think, too, like, in terms of the screenplay, <clears throat> um, just his construction um, I, I, I think is consistently really, really good, too, because, you know, when when he's... Uh, when he goes to Leonard Eels, which is such a great Coen Brothers-type name... Oh, yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> when he goes to his apartment and he knows he's being set up, um, you know, you're... It's it's a bit of a twist um, because at that point he he already knows he's been betrayed like he was betrayed by her in the past and so you know you don't do you don't do the plot twist uh, that he's going to be betray- betrayed but it's a mm-hmm. plot twist where he knows he's going to be betrayed and so he sets the thing up to betray the people who are trying to betray him right um, it's just it's a very it's a very clever way of of just writing and and. Um, I think it keeps things interesting. Otherwise, like you would immediately figure out what's going to happen. Um, and I think, you know, he's very, very
2: good at keeping you guessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, you you don't go, "Why do you do that stupid thing?" Yeah. <laughs> you go, "Oh, that's pretty smart." You mm-hmm. hope it works out, but you yeah. also kind of know it's not going to work out for him.
1: No. Y- yeah. And I mean, you. But you also, you know, with something like that, you wonder, well are at least some people, some nice people going to get out alive. Um mm-hmm. and you know, in terms of supporting characters here, there's the whole um you know, there's the the country boy who's in love with his girlfriend and they set that up. There's uh there's his cabbie friend mm-hmm. whom I love. Like, right. you know there's a lot of sharing of cigarettes in this, which is like I I, I I can't think of another film noir where I've seen two men like, you know, romantically almost share a cigarette. <laughs> right. But yeah. it's like it's like a you know it's like he's giving him water, um, like mm. a Samaritan giving like someone water when he hands him the cigarette. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: Kirk Douglas, the f- first thing he does is offer Mitchum a cigarette, and he already mm-hmm. has one. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: It's so good. I mean, little touches like that, like that wouldn't be out of place, like you mentioned in a Coen Brothers movie, just really stands out here. And I, like the way it's set up, too, I, I actually thought of um, History of Violence but it mm-hmm. it's like a different context, but still it has like, you know, the uh, uh somebody coming from out of town into the small town world mm-hmm. to retrieve somebody who's betrayed, you know, a mm-hmm. large group of people or Kirk Douglas's uh posse, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's really uh it's so rich. I, I love the narration throughout and he's telling her this story while driving the car. And the way I'll just like I don't know, every touch in this film works well, for
1: me and, and and showing, I guess, you know similar to what you were saying with Leopard Man, Robert, like you know you get you get insight in, into the other characters' lives too, so True. that their deaths um, have a greater impact. Um, I think in this, too, like, you know, we just talked about this boring character, but I mean, th- even if they don't die, you see kind of, like, the weight or consequences of other characters' actions on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and even again with his girlfriend, like, her her parents and, like, telling her that he's a bad influence and um, um, just, like, getting insight to to her home life or, or again, the kid, um, and like, you know, how he Mitchum was at least generous enough or Jeff was at least generous enough to to give him a job and kind of take pity on him. Um, and even, you know, uh, to get to his actual death, um, mm. I think that's another, like, they hold out for as long as they can of actually, like, confirming um, that he's going to die. So there's still, like, a bit of suspense in in what his actual fate is. And and even still, like, his, his wound doesn't seem like it would be lethal. Um
0: yeah. And a lot of the killings kind of take place off screen but it you know like some of the deaths are very spontaneous they happen like in a matter of seconds with his former partner mhm um just like the gunshot coming out of nowhere and everything and then you really get insight into her character mm-hmm. uh so yeah i mean it's just it, it's not like one of those movies where it's like gimmicky with its twists or whatever the reveals actually add to the character depth throughout mm-hmm. and you know, I just—I think I just get pure joy out of Kirk Douglas and Robert Mitchum interacting together in the mm-hmm. same film, and with such a strong story to tell.
2: Mm-hmm. Here, yeah, and I, 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 the ending really sticks with me. Um, sure, I kind of wonder—we we see Mitchum dial out and probably tip off the police that they're coming. So you kind of wonder if this is a uh, uh, death or suicide by cop, and he's making sure mm-hmm. that the, mm-hmm. she gets taken down with him. Um, kind of wonder is that's his way of going off with her uh, that they're joined together in death, or Ooh, I think it was actually an homage to Invasion of the Saucer Men <laughs> and the ending of that film. But, but. but uh, yeah, it's an interesting that that kind of relates to the last question when uh, um, the girlfriend asks uh, the kid whether he was actually Jeff was actually going off with. Uh, janger at the end and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he says yes but i don't know <laughs> yeah and I mean, I maybe
0: ambiguity there yeah
2: maybe it's just what she needs to hear mhm but but maybe he that is his way of going off with her but making sure that nobody else gets hurt in the mm-hmm. world that's the sense i got yeah. Right.
0: yeah this very interesting confrontations with death throughout a lot of his films just including the end of cat people and just her choice I mean was she freeing the panther essentially and that's all she wanted to do or is she just this? that sounds that's gross j-
1: that's a great <laughs> great metaphor I'm freeing the panther
0: <laughs> oh man <laughs> no but but yeah I mean they're openly accepting death I guess yeah
1: like you know, death you know um in light of of there being far worse things from living true right um, and real quick, just one more thing out uh, of the past. I love his distraction uh, when she walks into the bar in, uh, what is uh I forget, uh, in Mexico. but A- Acapulco. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And his, his uh, spilling the drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where, like, they, they, they wouldn't notice her. They're, like, sitting facing the door. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's classic.
0: Well, you got to do what you got to do to distract them, man. Yeah. Huh? You know? Oops. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's a remarkable piece of work. And very quickly, I'll get through the next film, which is Stars in My Crown, which is kind of a... It's definitely an outlier in that it's kind of a family film in a way. It's, it's, it's very ultra-serious for the most part. I mean, it does have its humorous moments. But um, overall... You know, I mean, I know this type of film was very popular in the 1940s where it's really about family dynamics, but it's from the point of view of a small child. And in this case, played by a very young Dean Stockwell. When I first found out that he was in I was like, oh, I wonder who he's going to play. And then I didn't even recognize this kid. I was <laughs> like, oh my God, it's Dean Stockwell. Um, yeah, so, th- but it has like the small town feel, uh, you know, combined with the rural setting, but it's really. Interesting, because it has kind of this soap opera ish tone at times with a little hint of melodrama and it's essentially about you know this this priest who's just really good at getting the town riled up almost like Daniel plainview um but it's uh very it's a ferocious attack on racism eventually because you know the uh the priest really wants people to look past their um, prejudices in this small town so that's one another reason why i thought of the intruder where it's like a reversal of that because in the intruder um william shatner comes into town to fuck things up and to get people riled up and to get people more racist but in this film um you have an actor and his name um, escapes my mind but he's essentially the lead here and we get to know him uh, as a little boy, and then eventually graduating into like actually preaching in bars and like just getting people really um, interconnected in a way but it 's essentially just an all in out sort of commentary on the times and just the small town mentality, I guess you could say uh, but it, it's, it's it has a very sympathetic view towards a Protestant religion which is very interesting in of itself. I mean the the preacher is essentially the hero of the film and kind of saves the day in the end. Uh but yeah, it's 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 good. I, I it doesn't quite it's not something I would rewatch as much as the other films we talked about. But in terms of being, you know, kind of a western, kind of a family drama, kind of a social commentary amalgam, I, I thought it was really well done and again there's a moment where a train kind of arrives um out of nowhere. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a little maybe it was a little tip of the hat to cat people with only with a train this time, but yeah, no, it's 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 good. Uh, it's not something I would like out and out say you have to see like the other films, but it's 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 good. It's pretty good. And next we have, I think, a swashbuckler,
1: Nat. Is this uh, is this what I think it is? Yeah. Okay. This is the one that Robert steadfastly refused to watch. Where when we <laughs> where when we uh, when we originally were, were sharing our lists of uh, of the movies that we were going to watch for this, you know, Robert said, "Oh, you should check out this and this one and this one and this one and this one." And I said, "Oh, I, I saw I saw the flame in the air. You should check that out." And Immediately, Robert was like, "No, I'm not watching that. <laughs> we <laughs> well, can't watch everything." At least that's how I remember it.
2: But I, I that, that one that definitely was beyond my time frame. <laughs> But, um, it was but I know to see Eighty-nine that.
1: minutes or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's slightly longer, well, <laughs> like I, almost feature length.
2: I <laughs> did want to see it, especially after Jacques <laughs> Tourneur said on the uh, interview that's on the Cat People criterion that it's his favorite film. Well,
1: there you go. It's um, so much fun. This is this is such a fantastically fun film. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't have the depth of of some of the other uh, films that we've discussed, but. Boy, oh boy! Bert, Bert Lancaster is oh, just—he is so joyous in this, um, and and you know, I think uh, this is this is in color. I think he was he was a master of of using color, especially in this. It's it's basically Italian Robin Hood, um, and I think it's yep. very much inspired by Michael Curtiz's Robin Hood. Um, Bert Lancaster is totally playing in the Errol Flynn uh, vein here, and then his sidekick Piccolo. Uh, who I think it's Nick Cravat or something like that. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of him or seen him in any other movie since. And and Jim was mentioning to me that he had seen this movie as well. And we were wondering, like, was was were acrobats like a thing in the early nineteen fifties? Where you have uh, around the world in eighty days. And it's I just, guess,
0: yeah, this might have been their pinnacle. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the height of their popularity. Yeah, but I just I couldn't get past how much he was a dead ringer for Vincent Cassell. Yeah. I just like, is this, is, is a long distance relative of Vincent Cassell? Cause it looks like him like a shorter version.
1: Well, and uh, the, <laughs> the basic plot of it is that, uh, Burt Lancaster is Dardo, uh, who is this mountain hero, Donnie Dardo, Donnie Dardo. <laughs> Dardo, um, who is very good with the bow, he has his son taken away from him by the evil uh, landowner who also stole Dardo's wife, although she seemed to have gone willingly. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a that. weird complex relationship there mm-hmm. um, that, that I don't think they quite fully get into. Um, but anyway, the landowner steals his, or the, the king or whatever steals his son. Um, at some point, you know, a, a uh, noble. Gets fed up with the with the oppressive taxation and goes off to join Dardo's band. Uh, there's a bunch of different, uh, very thrilling raids on the castle, um, capturing you know the or uh, seducing the maid Marian type, who's like the niece of uh, of the prince. Or I forget the guy's name or the the main yeah. antagonist, like his position. But you know, it's basically she's the maid Marian type, and um, you know he's very very charming. And he's that. like El Guapo. Yeah. What do you mean? shut up and and it culminates with uh with dardo's band dressing up as circus performers and putting on um putting on a great circus show for for the castle right and that in itself culminates in a really fantastic um high pole acrobatic act
0: (laughs) pretty impressive stuff
1: yeah um i mean there's 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 a lot of interesting angles um and and i guess uh a lot of different types of of shooting um, mm-hmm. that one normally wouldn 't expect to see and hasn't really seen that often since, like you know how do you how does one shoot a circus you know, how do you get the scope of it to get the other people 's reactions of of things and yet still be enough focused on the actual event to kind of convey um, its impressiveness and and I think he totally does that in this movie
0: I would concur a hundred percent I think um you know as it goes on i uh I would say that there's like just a little short period of downtime where I'm not as enthused with it. But I, overall, like I don't know if I've ever really gotten huge into the swashbuckler Robin Hood scenarios in general. Um, maybe it's just because Robin Hood Prince of Thieves was my first experience with a Robin Hood movie. I'm like, I don't really care. I don't think this is my kind of stuff. Um, but no, I just... I, and I still have to see the Michael Curtiz Robin Hood. Yes, you do. Yes, I know, yes, I, know do. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> and and Robin and Marion, I know there's
1: still. Well, no that's place. not quite Swashbuckler, actually. Oh, no, not Swashbuckler. Right. with um, with uh, Robert uh, Quint, Robert Shaw, Robert, Robert Shaw. Shaw, Robert yeah. Shaw, and James Earl Jones and Peter Boyle. Whoa! It's like 1978. It was on Netflix at some point. I'm not sure if it is now. It's a ridiculously insane movie, but it's a lot of fun.
0: Kind of like the comedy of terrors. <laughs>
1: No, it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> well, the flame of the arrow is a lot of fun as well, and I, I I really enjoyed it quite a bit and was I think it's just that the the magnetism of Bert Lancaster's smile. I think yes. he, I think he smiles pretty much until he gets shot in the back with an arrow. Yeah. And then he's of course you, you, he's not smiling you, you, then. Well he's
1: still smiling sometime after that.
0: Yeah, a little bit. because well, he like, gets help.
1: The the aristocrat I think is is wonderful and charming and, yes. and there's a great twist with him. Um Piccolo, you know, it's I'm guessing again, his (laughs) great names, Dardo and Piccolo, the further (laughs) adventures of, you know, that's why they chose the flame and the arrow for the title of this one. But uh, I think we, we should become a folk duo and just be Dardo and Piccolo. Yeah,
0: that'd be a good name.
1: Okay. okay, we can we can we can look into that.
0: <laughs> I think there's a couple of titles potentially between this one and Curse of the Demon or Knight of the Demon that I have not seen, if I'm not mistaken. Which others are there uh, between this and that?
2: With Nightfall before or after Curse of the Demon? I want to say it's after, but
0: maybe it might or, be the one right after it. Yeah.
2: Well, what what you we were your first
0: Canyon Passage?
2: Canyon Passage, Passage. was uh, Turner's first uh, Technicolor film in 1946. It's a Western. I mean, right off the bat, you can tell it's a different type of Western. You know, most of them are set in the Southwest with the dusty, maybe the tumbleweed will blow through mm-hmm. town. This one opens in Portland, Oregon with the rain pouring and it's just muddy all over the place. And I I think that's emblematic of just how different a Western it is. Um, It's set up in the mountains and with lakes and rivers. They're all the standard tropes you would expect in a a Western. There's a cabin raising. Uh, There's uh, Andy Devine. Andy Devine. (laughs) Ward (laughs) Bond. Yep. Um, (laughs) Dana Andrews as this uh, uh, I can do it by myself uh, type uh, hero of the film. Ryan Donlevy is a banker that's probably getting cheated out of his money by a local card shark. Um, <laughs> there's a, a couple of love triangles going on here.
0: Really? Wow, that's surprising. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, there's Indian tax later on in the film. Yep. There's uh, personal uh, uh, vendettas. Uh, so it's, it's There's a lot of stuff going on. It, it's quite episodic, but all the all the characters in the film are fully fleshed out. You're, mm-hmm. you're sympathetic to, well, pretty much everybody except for Ward Bond. At, yeah. At, well, it's Ward one. Bond. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we even the, the Indians are, or Native Americans are treated with respect in this one. I mean, they they have a point when they go on the w- war path. Even Andy Devine defends them at some point.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, as the Haitians are treated in I Iraq With the Zombie, they actually have like, you know, a Proto revisionist view of the Indians and actually make the argument like, well, you know, we are taking their land, and mm. and they have the they have the scene where they show up like at the celebration of the house raising, saying like,
2: yeah, you guys just keep encroaching on us. We're gonna <laughs>
1: keep doing this if <laughs> you keep building these mm-hmm. things. Hmm.
2: Yeah, Hoagie Carmichael is in it uh, yes. as a local uh, it's a great shopkeeper. Name. <laughs> Uh, several of the songs, I never realized
1: that old Buttermilk's guy was written for this movie, oh really yeah well and and Hoagie Carmichael, and I imagine in this film or at least at this time, um that was the original inspiration for the look of james Bond.
0: well i 'll be a monkey 's uncle exactly
1: wow, and he 's yeah he 's like the bard in this. Ah. <laughs>
0: I'm going to put this one on my list of must Who
1: conveniently shows up to the house raising like after all the work's done? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, now, at, and after doing a little research too, the, um, I really want to see Berlin Express because I think it's the first film that was shot in Germany post World War II.
2: Yeah, and it's it's good. It, it's, uh, it Jacques Tourneur shoots the hell out of the film. I bet uh, lots of shadows everywhere. The uh, the rubble is quite striking. It's it's sort of a proto third man, but it doesn't hold a candle oh. to third man plot-wise. Oh, well,
0: yeah. I figured that out.
2: <laughs> I mean, it, it's very schematic. Uh, Kurt Stemach uh, wrote the screenplay. So you have uh, an American, a Russian, a Frenchman, a Frenchwoman, um, an Englishman kind of team up to rescue this reformist bar German. Jerk. <laughs> uh, this reformist ger- good German from the... Nazi underground that wants to disrupt uh, the rebuilding of Germany, <laughs> hmm. and that's about as complicated as it gets. It's very schematic, and I think that's part of the joy of the film is it's schematic. We watch okay. all these people team up again while sure. Cold War tensions are going on, but it's um, there, there's nothing. The plot wise, is, is very one, two, three. It's, it's nothing you haven't seen. Nothing you can't guess. Uh, there's a traitor in the mix, and I, I won't spoil it, but let's say there's a redundant nationality there. But, <laughs> um, I think but, we'll, I mean, we'll at, we'll at, as far we'll as shoot, as well-shot films, it, it looks great.
1: Um, I think also, yeah. For, I
0: accidentally jumped around, I just realized. <laughs> no, that's
1: fine. <laughs> I, I was just going to say I can jump in with Anne of the Indies real quick. Sure. Um, <clears throat> another fun swashbuckler, um, you no, know, it's it's based on was it I think Anne Hutchinson they don't really call it, use her last name. Um sorry. Damn you Peter Fonda. <laughs> uh Anne Hutchinson I don't think they use her last name, but uh she's the female pirate working in the same time as Blackbeard and Blackbeard actually shows up, not played by Robert Newton, but still, you know, oily and mm. uh red-nosed. Um but it's it's a fun little uh, almost like swashbuckling espionage film. Gene uh, Peters is the main character. Future uh, wife
0: of Howard Hughes, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Maybe. I think so. <laughs> okay. Um, when, when she's trying to act authoritative, uh, I'm not quite sure if it works that much. She's a little little bit over the top. Um, but yeah, still, still a very fun and, and brisk movie um, with a really neat twist. Um, and I okay. think also uh, before Curse of the Demon... Night of the Demon, what have you, of the Demon. There's also Appointment in Honduras, which I think both of
2: yeah. Robert and I have seen.
1: Mm-hmm. If you want
2: to... Um, basically, it's a jungle adventure. Uh, uh, Glenn Ford needs oh. to get to what, the capital of Honduras with some money for arms for, I guess, the good government. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of ends up uh, uh, kidnapping uh, industrialist and his... Wife and convincing a bunch of kind of convicts that are on the ship to kind of mutiny and take him there, and then he has to guide them up the river. Um, and there are adventures along the way, yeah, like kind of a
1: treasure of the Sierra Madre meets the African Queen meets King Solomon's Mines. <laughs> wow, um not quite as good as anything <laughs> I'm still <laughs> no. on board um but uh, i i think it's still quite a, quite a bit of fun and really good animal acts in there if you're if uh Frank Henric is listening there's uh,
0: tiger fish
1: yeah tiger fish <laughs> wow just say piranha
2: damn it say okay. piranha <laughs> Uh, yeah, and there's, there's a little bit of ambiguity about uh, Glenn uh, Ford's character, yes. whether he's a good guy or not. And yep. they play that up quite a bit, so it keeps your interest. And there's a love triangle going on, because apparently the industrials and his wife are not on the best of terms. Yeah, yeah. And it, Glenn Ford is uh, a hunk of man, I think, would probably be the way to put I think that's fair A, that's
1: hunk, right. a hunk of man, A yeah. big hunk of man. Yeah, some of these interesting yeah, love triangles, too, where it's a married woman yeah. who's kind of falling for... For a scoundrel, um, another great line from this movie is uh, that man was my man you just killed was my cousin. Well, if you want to get some too, I'm more than happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't that smart anyway. <laughs> yeah, but- good
2: stuff. Mm-hmm. I I also saw uh, Experiment Perilous, which I believe is the first uh, film he did uh, post Luton.
0: Oh right, okay. which is a
2: Gaslight type thriller with Hetty, not Hedley with Mar. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty good. Hmm. Um, okay. I mean, it, it is it is very much a 1940s film, but I think um, Tourneur's attention to detail and ambiguity is is very good. The so-called hero of the film is called out and asked if he would actually do it if she didn't look like she did, and he kind of wonders, maybe you have a point there, but he still goes on and does does the right thing. He he sticks his nose in. I mean, you know who the villain is off the top. If you've ever seen Gaslight or know what Gaslight is, you know how this thing is going to work out. But there's some, it's it's really nicely shot. It's an intelligent film. There's a great shot at the end, at the climax. There's a fire going on, and there's all these aquariums, which all kind of burst at once. And so, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a good film. I mean, it, it's not as good as the, the Luton films he did, but I, I think it's well worth checking out.
0: It's ta- it starts out on a train trip. I'm on board. <laughs> Get it? Yes. Okay. Um, no, I just mean I. I think it was around watching uh, Lady Vanishes for the second time. I was like, I think I just love all movies that take place on trains.
1: Murder <laughs> right
2: on the Orient Express. Sure.
0: Even Silver Streak, it's not great, but I still <laughs> like it. I don't know, man. Uh, and Berlin
2: Express, you have going for you too. Yeah. Okay,
0: there you go. But yeah, I, I think it was. A, it's similar to the revelation that Patrick likes all movies that take place on a submarine. I just I happen to <laughs> well, love that. Is like train.
2: obvious. U five
1: seven one.
0: Yeah, not quite as large of a K nine The Widowmaker.
1: <laughs> K nine The Widowmaker.
0: I don't know if he likes that one. I don't know if anybody likes that one. I don't know if sure it's
2: Russia. the effect of scenes where they're all sitting around looking at gauges. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's.
1: <laughs> I've heard many many people say that that's their favorite part. It's better. It's
0: better than Harrison Ford's accent. His Russian accent in that movie.
1: <laughs> what about Sean Connery's Russian? Accent?
0: <laughs>
1: wow. I come from the Scottish part of Russia. <laughs> uh, I, I think there are a couple more before before *Curse of the Demon* or *Night of the Demon*. But do we want to just jump to?
0: Yeah, I think we probably should. Let's do this. Knight, <laughs> curse, something of the demon.
2: If you're in England, it's Knight of the Demon. If you're in America, it's Curse of the Demon. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> because what they they
1: figured curses don't sell that well in uh, in England and they knights thought. don't
2: sell that well. They figured Curse of Frankenstein was a big hit, so Curse of okay. the Demon will be a big hit in America. Mm. And
1: you at home listening can't see this, but Robert just made an excellent demonstration of what he was talking about with his cane <laughs> by moving it, moving it, pulling it back slightly <laughs> to indicate differences between the US and the UK. Um, I'm pretty sure
0: French fries are called chips in the UK.
1: Yes, and chips that- are called crisps.
0: Oh! Very good. Okay, <laughs> now that we got that out of the way, Robert, could you start Turtle this Curse. one out? It'd be exciting.
2: <laughs> Curse of the Demon. It is. Yeah. Well, I, I, obviously, I said I, I first thought was about twelve, right? Uh, and it really stuck to me. Um, rewatched it again a few years back. Happy to see that it holds up pretty darn well. Um, mm-hmm. You can definitely see that it was an influence on Sam Raimi and Drag Me to Hell.
0: Yeah, I picked that up quite a bit, <laughs>
2: especially towards the end. I was like, "Oh,
0: okay, you got to pass off the uh, the little curse there, don't you?"
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think sense. all that's done well. I mean, I I, I know Jacques Teneur is not crazy about showing the demon at the beginning of the film. I'm a okay with the demon <laughs> at the beginning of the film because I think it's a great looking piece of puppetry. Oh uh,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little creepy, a little weird.
2: And I, I think that the the set piece surrounding it w- works great, too. Um, I like how it kind of forms out of the darkness there with that kind of, like, like firefly effect. Yeah. yeah,
1: well, you know, maybe Lost took something from that. But but he also he takes advantage of it by by showing the smoke as, like, an indication of when the monster's going to show up, even if they don't show the monster in some of those scenes, too.
0: Yeah, wasn't there a dispute with that? I mean, not just with the director, but, like, the editors or something? With uh, showing the monster, it was like a decision that he didn't. The director didn't make, but the editor just said, "I'm going to put the monster in," or something. My understanding,
2: it was in the script all along, and it's more of a, a post. It came out, and critics started suggesting that it might have been better not to show it. And mm-hmm. Jack Shuster said, "Yeah, you're right." Yeah. <laughs> rather than a, a decision that anybody was really contemplating at the time it was filmed, I see. I think it's more a myth that they. they they ever contemplated a version without the demon in it. The, I think Dana,
0: Dana Andrews called the editor a little son of a bitch
1: <laughs> for doing that. I can for see Dana up. Andrews saying that quite a bit. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, to one extent, like, you know, the conversation that he has with, uh, and I, I am so bad with the names in, of these characters. In this, yeah. But, but the bad guy. Neil McGinnis? But his character's name? Oh, um, Um, like Vassar or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, but like the conversation when he when he goes to his estate, and again, this is this is such a weird sequence. Like he's throwing a Halloween party for all these children, and his mother's there. Like you know, this guy who's like an Aleister Crowley type. And it's like, you know, I'm just having a party at my palatial estate with all the neighborhood kids and my mom's over there, and yeah, let's talk. But when he's, like, showing off his magic there, I mean, there, the way it's shot, I think it does try to keep a little bit ambiguous as to, like, you know, is he just full of shit or does he actually have yeah. powers? And I think, you know, seeing the demon and knowing that the supernatural is actually real may kind of offset that. But even still, I think there's more, more to get out of this from, like, how interesting... And bizarre, some of these characters um, in Night Curse, what have you, of the demon um, are rather than in whether or not the supernatural exists.
0: Doctor Carswell.
1: Doctor Carswell. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Very good.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I certainly don't mind we seeing the demon, but I, I think it would be interesting to if the film had started out with that without that to make us wonder if the doctor's loony or not.
1: I, well I think he's loony regardless. Well yeah, no, he
0: is loony regardless, but <laughs>
1: Well and, yeah. and and even with even with having showing the demon in the first 5 minutes, 2 minutes, yeah. Like Early. I think he still Terno's still tops that with the last appearance of the demon too, oh, and yeah. how that's mirrored with the train smoke and yeah, like Again, and, and that's where he actually maybe keeps it a little bit even more ambiguous or you're not sure like where the train is, ends and the demon begins, but mm-hmm. I think like that's just he is able to take it Take it one step farther, and I think it it's a great, great way that he handles that. There you go. There's yeah. your train, too. Exactly. <laughs> train boner. Mm-hmm. Train boner.
2: Yeah. yeah. I i really love the way that Turner shoots this film. Um, mm-hmm. He had done color films, and he had done some other films in the time, but he really, back in his Luton days mm-hmm. here with all the deep shadows and the... Uh, Along court, I love the the shot of Carswell walking down the corridor, where it kind of shimmers mm-hmm. and not sure what's going on there. I think that's just a a wonderful effect. I, I think they corner integrates the uh, visual scheme into the story because uh, Dana Andrews comes across in the plane. He can't get out of the light, so he can't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he gets into England, he's plunged in this world of shadows and half half light lit rooms and that. So I think that's. Mm-hmm. All works really excellent. I, I think it's a director and the sort of material working hand in hand, and I, I think it really accentuates both of the strengths of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and apparently, Ray Harryhausen was originally going to be doing the uh, the demon effects, but he was uh, too busy working on a film called The Seventh Voyage of
2: Sinbad. That's a pretty good film.
0: It is, isn't
2: it? Catherine Grant. That
0: would have really been interesting to see really Harryhausen in, in this movie. scenario. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I can't see Harryhausen doing one that would be truly scary yeah, though. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. It's like I, I like the demon in this. I think it's it's a nice demon. Yeah. I like him. He's a nice guy.
1: <laughs> he likes strange too. He got that in common. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But again, I think he I think one thing that we've brought up fairly consistently is just that Tonal uh, is uh interested in just the understanding of the human condition mm-hmm. and trying to piece it together and also tackle, you know, science versus skepticism and all those themes that I've always found fascinating in and of themselves. But here it's like, really, again, some of your beautiful expressionistic lighting and uh, shadows and just playing with your expectations throughout.
1: Well, I think even for that, like I, I, get, I get a little bit more of a sense in, in Curse of the Demon that, like, supernatural or... or the magical world is, is more like a con game. Mm-hmm. Like Dr. Fasser, <laughs> Carswell. Dr. Carswell. <laughs> like Dr. Carswell, he comes off as, as like, you know, an entertainer or, you know, a, a entertaining magician or like, you know, sure. our, our concept of like a performing magician or, or even a con man. And he, he acts like a con man. Um, he talks like a con man. He tries to keep, you know, keep you in suspense as to whether or not he has Powers and and he'll say oh yeah Well I, I've been deciphering this but then I Couldn't decipher all this other stuff and like The whole discovery of like the runes and then Matching them up to oh, right. yeah. Stonehenge Is a little bit Is a little bit hokey and like the, at the very end of it I mean just the whole idea of like how this Curse is transferred to Like I mean that that is sleight of hand Like that that's like a Performing magician are there are other Horror
0: movies that do that with st- they just mentioned Stonehenge as being what the source of the evil, or something. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's Prince of Darkness, but it's something mm-hmm. fairly in that 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 realm.
1: Well, I think I mean the main thing is I I, I think there's a little bit lighter heart, um, mm-hmm. or at least like I don't think he treats the supernatural or black magic like as as seriously. Um,
0: okay. Yeah. As yeah, well. he
1: chose. lives with his mother. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which you know would be a great scene. Carswell! well, Did you take the laundry out? No, no, mom. I gotta practice my demon curse.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and his
2: mother is quite a character, though. And, yeah. And as we, we pointed out before, that uh, she has her own actions that she takes because she's gotten. S- I won't say fed up, but she she thought, thinks her son has gone too far and actually moves against him in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that helps create a, a bigger world and fuller mm-hmm. characters uh, mm-hmm. around it.
0: Yeah, again, I. I have very little to complain about with this film, mm-hmm. and uh, the final minutes of it are spectacular with with mm-hmm. his death, with mm-hmm. Dr. Kerswell's death.
2: Yeah. Now, I, I would say that the one major thing I have an issue with it is Dana Andrews' performance as he's very pig-headed. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. He, he does, I mean, there's a difference between skeptical and sticking your head in the sand, and I think he's... Yeah. That's true, He's sure. He's very much wearing blinders through it, or at least, I mean... Yeah. Being skeptical is one thing, but outright dismissing things without evidence of that is 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 but part of that, what it.
0: This kind of has a there's a history of that type of character in a lot of these
2: oh. films, and even in
0: something like Melancholia with mm-hmm. Kiefer Sutherland's character, just yeah. being very dismissive.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's the Scully without the Mulder.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh and then and then you also have like the good magical scientists like running around you know with the with the with the Indian guy who just kind of like sits there and you know looks ominous and refuses to drink, yeah, <laughs> it's just all this mystique built up in this guy who doesn't end up doing too much right?
0: yeah i liked i just I liked the dynamics and I liked the world of all these characters and um how certain things that I've seen in latter day more modern horror films, you can trace back to a lot of these films Mm -hmm. uh, from
1: Jacques Tournaire. Now, Robert, would, would you say this film could be better if it were directed by Terrence Fisher? No, it would not be. Really?
2: (laughs) You've heard it here first,
0: folks.
2: (laughs) Terrence Fisher was good at many things, but he was more of a direct style. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a, not a one that embraced ambiguity in terms of, uh, uh, shooting style in that, but there'd be more blood in a Terrence Fisher film. And perhaps more tits. <laughs> Devil Rides Out is probably the closest equivalent Terrence Fisher would make to this type of film. I
1: was just thinking of that when I was yeah, like watching this. And, and
2: I like The Devil's Rides Out, but it's quite a different film.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I love Charles Gray in that, and I would love to see Charles Gray take a turn at, uh, at Dr. Carr as well.
0: <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and if everybody's wondering why the Kate Bush song, Hounds of Love, is the song I'm choosing to end this episode with. It's because of the use of, it's in the trees, it's coming, <laughs> from this film.
2: I do like the uh, last line of the film, too. I, I do like, maybe it's better not to know. I think that mm, yeah, sums yeah, up yeah. a lot of uh, Twiner's uh, yeah, film style. Yeah.
0: That's a good note to get head out on, <laughs> honestly, because that is really... Uh, yeah, sort of again summarizes a lot of his themes essentially. Maybe sometimes it is better not to know. <laughs> but I do want to know what your top 3 Jacques Tonnere films might be.
1: Yikes. I know, right? I I'm I'm going to defer to Robert for the um and you can come back to me. Ah oh, boy.
2: Favorite or best? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, favorite. Good I never,
2: point. I never do okay. this. Like, just no. the
0: ones you want to rewatch more than the others.
2: Your favorites. I will go with um, I Walk With a Zombie, maybe because I've seen it in the theater. And sure. the overwhelming sound design really works great in the theater, and it had an effect on me there. Uh, two would be uh, Out of the Past, which is probably his best film and is certainly as perfect as a film gets. And three would be Cat People.
1: Um I'm gonna go favorites and, and the Please. favorites are not going to be what I th- would say are the best, so I'm I'm gonna dis I'm gonna disqualify cat people and out of the past from this. <laughs> but I would say <laughs> number one, I All think right. you know, I, I, I had the most fun with Flame and the Arrow. Uh number two, I would say Curse the Demon is is a lot of fun and did remind me a lot of Devil Rides out, but I like those there's, like satanic rituals in in merry old England, and just like mm-hmm. you know, paranoia or like weird pseudo science, uh, supernatural of of the nineteen fifties. Um, and then number three, I, I would say I'd like to see it again, but I will will uh, go to bat a little bit for Nightfall, uh, which we didn't have a chance to talk about, but it's worth seeing. A little bit in the similar vein of Out of the Past. Um, oh, really? Okay. Definitely can see the Fargo. Uh, yes. Uh, some ideas from Fargo were taken from this, okay. if not superficially. And uh,
2: Bancroft is very attractive in it.
1: Yes. <laughs> Even though Aldo Ray, like, he basically, you're just waiting for him to go, <laughs> at some point <laughs> when he's delivering any line. But Brian Keith is is wonderfully sleazy, similar to Kirk Douglas in, uh, in Out of the Past. But... We're seeing pretty fun, great shots Of, uh, of Wyoming
0: Alright, well I'm going to have to check that one out for sure So I'm, man, this list is probably Going to change the more I see from this guy But number three would be Curse of the Demon Number two would be Cat People Number one, surprise, Out of the Past And I Will say, I thought the comedy Of Terrors was kind of funny <laughs>
1: And the I know everybody else First five serious. minutes of it. Outside of that, yeah. Laurie is pretty consistently funny in it. Yeah. He just doesn't get a funny material. Yeah. Actually, I think uh, Karlov may be the funniest performance mm-hmm. in that. In Rathbone? Karlov. Kar- the father. Oh, father.
2: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. Vincent Price is such a dick, man.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this movie. I'm just like, God. I found the, the female be anti-comedy in that one though.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah that's the the, the singing
2: point. gets really old really fast.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah, that's the one thing that didn't work for me for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a few things that didn't work, but I still found it pretty amusing. Yeah, I was in a oh. good mood. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh,
2: and the Twilight Zone episode he did is solid.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I also I also like phone call weirdness in in horror you know coming from inside the house uh the phone calls and scream so anything involving phones and trains I'm in so well, the, yeah the twilight zone is like uh you know an old woman is getting harassed by a phone call and we slowly get to find out who is on the other line
1: ooh, ooh yeah is it jock turner himself it is <laughs> hey is it uh I was gonna say, if you like seeing little kids shot, um, you can check out Wichita as well. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> um,
1: Always good entertainment. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Salt on Precinct Thirteen.
1: Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 not the most climactic death scene. It's basically just a kid clutching, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> falling oh, okay. away. But yeah, it's it's another nice Western. Wider comes to uh, comes to town and comes to Wichita and and cleans it up.
0: Well, clearly there's going to have to be a sequel episode for this guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And th- these are all the ones that, like, all of us have watched, too,
2: and there's probably, more. like, 15, 20 more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah he's quite, he has quite the filmography.
0: Yeah. Yes. And yeah,
2: we didn't even watch the shorts. No. Uh, and I I <laughs> would recommend somebody check out Tupapau, uh, which is kind of like a mini uh, I walk with a zombie before he worked with Luton. So um, you get the... Uh, South Seas Island Superstition Ooh. and Curses. Ooh.
0: <laughs> Terrific, guys. Wow, that was great. I had a great time. Us too. Yeah. Thanks for being on the show, of course. But <laughs> we want to follow you. We want to stalk you Ooh. on the internet. How do we do that? Where do we go?
1: Well, you go out to buy cornbread. And of course. Cornmeal. But cornmeal—that's yes, right for our tortillas. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly our tortillas, because when Father gets home, he'll be pissed if there's not <laughs> hot tortillas waiting for him. I, I know what that's like. Uh, this is from the Leopard Man, by the way, in case you were just wondering. Right, just <laughs> um, for references, even though. But
0: seriously, <laughs> folks, where can we find you on this great worldwide web that is so popular with everybody
1: these days? Well, Robert, you can find on any film message board. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Or you can find me at wherethelongtailends.com, dot com, all one word, uh, where we have our uh, "Still Watching the Skies" uh, podcast will come up every month. Uh, usually, like clockwork, I don't, I can't guarantee that for November, but it'll be up in November.
1: <laughs> it will. And,
2: and there's a ton of reviews I have up there for the Milwaukee Film Festival as well. Splendid, including uh, well
1: in addition to your Kurosawa in Order. Yes. And my Wells mm-hmm. in Order, which uh, which stopped before I did the write-up of... Uh, Touch of Evil. Touch of Evil, which is coming sometime <laughs> in the next 50 years. <laughs> wow.
0: How about you, Nat? I know you've recently had another wonderful podcasting endeavor with a certain former guest of the show, Kurt Half Yard. Yes. Or um,
1: and And his lovely wife, Laura Jane, who... Ooh. Who is awesome? I will, I can't I will wait. give a shout out to Laura Jane. Um, but yeah, we uh, we have a, a microcast coming uh, on Pride and Prejudice, uh, Prejudice, and you can also uh, until that drops, you can also check out our previous ones on The Prisoner and I Claudius. Those you can find also at wherethelongtailends.com, dot all one word, or row 3com but
2: cool. oh, We can use the hits.
1: That's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, screw row three. Come to where the long tail Yeah. We
0: don't need to promote those row three guys anymore.
1: Yeah, punks.
0: Yeah. And come back, Matt Gamble. Well, we miss you. Come back,
1: James Gillum. Screw Matt
0: Gamble. Oh, that's, that, yeah. That goes without <laughs> saying. I think anybody on planet Earth at this point would agree. Or they know. <laughs> um, as far as me. I'm uh, I'm all over the place I'm at Letterboxd, at Instant Gym I'm on Twitter, at Instant Gym um, I'm on Facebook I'm on Instagram I'm on Spotify, I'm on iTunes Music I'm on Bandcamp Where
1: aren't you in the internet?
0: You? <laughs> I'm everywhere And I'm always listening to podcasts <laughs> I wake up and listen to a podcast I go to bed listening to a podcast And uh, It's not my own But you can find that at directorsclubpodcast.com Send me an email at gmail dot com. Oh boy, in two weeks do I have an episode for you guys to check out very soon because it features um, one of my favorite, if not my favorite guests No, I'm not playing favorites, I shouldn't say that because I love everybody equally. They're all my children um, Bill Ackerman Yeah Host of supporting characters of the Now Playing Network. You should also check out net by the way Duh, duh um, yeah, so Bill is going to be joining me to talk about a guy by the name of Peter Bogdanovich. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's made some good films, i got to say, including The Last Picture Show and Paper Moon, and uh, she's f- kind of funny that way.
1: What's up, Doc? They all laughed. The hits just keep on coming. <laughs> Texasville.
0: Oh, <laughs>
2: ouch.
0: But no, we'll get to all those and more in about two weeks. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Nat.
2: For thank the, you, Jim. For thank
0: being you, Jim. on the
1: show. And thank you, Robert.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the coming out. Great. All right. Goodbye, everyone. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks for the Peter Bogdanovich episode. Goodbye. It's in the trees. It's coming.
2: Walter Brennan. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Oh,
2: sure. Andy Devine? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, gee, your guess let's go and raise that cabin. <laughs> oh, stumpy. That's Walter Brennan again. I'm trying to think. I can't remember any lines from Rio Bravo now. I did at one point.
1: Well, that's Walter Brennan. Right. Are you trying to do Walter Brown or Andy Devine? No, I'm
0: trying to do Walter Brown. <laughs>
1: That's real good music there. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> Watch, we have got Andy Monica and play it for us. <laughs> <laughs>